0: Slovenly Trolls, Slovenly Trolls, we're big, bad, evil girls. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Slovenly Trolls podcast. I am your favorite host, Lissa. And I am your actual favorite host,
1: Charde. Excuse you. Uh, I said what I said.
0: Not apologizing. We will. Be, we will be talking about this later. So, welcome to the 10th episode of the Slovenly Trolls podcast. We have been doing ten full months of episodes. It it is it's going well, I think. Yeah, we already hate each other. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so nothing's changed, really. <laughs> nope, not absolutely nothing. So as a non-special episode, I mean every episode's special, let's be honest. We have an episode that we're going to be doing mental health. In the context of DD, what that means is we're gonna be talking about the game mechanics of insanity and madness and how those are played in D DD throughout the different editions and how they develop through them. We will also be looking at how they're portrayed, portrayed, and contextualizing them, well, contextualizing the original insanity table. That was made in the 1970s to the era of the 1970s and what their view was of mental health. And if you know anything about how mental health has been viewed in history, you know that it's not good. It's not good. And it may or
1: may not have influenced the insanity table in Advanced Dungeons Dragons, the one that started this all, the one that inspired this podcast. Or this hmm. specific podcast episode,
0: I should say. So, obviously, as per usual, we will be doing conspiracy theories. Ooh. So, without further ado, well, no. We have a couple things more <laughs> before I say that.
1: <laughs> Getting way too upset of ourselves here.
0: <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, we do have a couple Patreon shoutouts to our favorite people if you would like to join them. Please support us. At patreon.com slash Creations, we have Kim Winson, Becca Mellema, Matt Dunn, and Scott Williams. We love you. Love you. We do also have a couple content warnings since we are doing an episode on mental health. If you have any issues with that, please skip this episode. So anything to do with mental health bad mental health, clinical terms of mental illnesses, topics like suicide, schizophrenia, phobias, insanity, and outdated terms that can be considered slurs. We have a couple. We do know that schizoid is one of them. And also eating disorders. So take care of yourselves. Mental health is important.
1: Yeah. Totally skip this episode if you do not feel comfortable listening about any of those topics.
0: So now, without further ado, let's go to part one. The Insanity Table. So the original Insanity Table is located in the Dungeon Master's Guide on page 93. So the AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide specifically. It's under the Wounds and Healing section, which comes after the Battle and Combat section that explains about how you do battle and combat in D&D. And it's part of the section that talks about recovering from effects. So things like wounds, diseases, fatigue after battle. And then you have the Insanity. And you have a table, which is optional. So in brackets, it does say it's an optional table that you can use.
1: For context, is wounds and disease and fatigue, are those all optional too, or is it just insanity?
0: Uh, It's just insanity. Wounds, diseases, and fatigue are things, effects that do happen in combat and battle. But the insanity table is something that you can use to add... An extra level of complexity, supposedly, to spice up your game. So, Mm. as we know, Gygax loved his challenges and loved challenging his players. So, he created this. I would, this is me, this is my opinion. He probably created this to make a challenge that was unlike the puzzles, monsters, and harlots that you had to deal with.
1: (laughs) As we all know, those harlots they have a dc of at least 15.
0: You know those urban encounters that we've talked about. <laughs> so now you have, you know, insanity because after battle, you know, just just go insane. That's just a thing that happens.
1: Sure. I mean, I guess you could equate it to like PTSD, I guess like you kill enough people. You know how in um World War 1 and Mm-hmm. World, well, specifically after World War One, like, shell shock became, mm. like, something that was put into a bunch of practice with doctors. Like, they understood what it was. They diagnosed people with shell shock, and it later became PTSD. Mm-hmm. So I guess I can kind of see where that comes from, but I have my own opinions on using the word insanity, personally.
0: Yeah. I mean, you are correct, but we will get into that that why later. The insanity table... So insanity is something that is caused by objects. It's caused by spells. There are a couple different spells. It's also caused by the use of magic in general. And it is also caused by, in, in the game, if you have the loss of your charisma or wisdom ability, so if you lose points in your either of those abilities and you lose more than half of your point the points in your charisma or wisdom you need to make a saving throw in order to determine if you are so shocked by this effect that you lose brain power
1: brain well, function uh, yeah it sounds like cuz charisma and wisdom are most i think tied to personality i mean intelligence kind of is too But I guess it sounds like if you lose your charisma, which is basically like sparkle, charisma, Mm -hmm. personality, and then wisdom is your ability to kind of make sense of the world in like a more – in more of a way than intelligence because you can be book smart and not street smart. So I guess if you you lose those two abilities or one of those two to a certain point, you maybe
0: just have like a crisis of self. Is that kind of what it's getting at maybe? Yeah, I think so. I think it's – It's something dramatic that if you, because of the different game mechanics, if you are, if you lose a sense of yourself or a part of you, sort of, uh, a mental part, that you gain this insanity. Or, well, Mm. you you roll on this table to determine what effect it has on you, essentially.
1: Okay. So that's how the game
0: mechanic works. It's a table of 25 different clinical, psychological terms, which are not great, but it the purpose of it is to make the game interesting. So because of whatever happens in the combat or whatever happens from a spell or a cursed object or a magic rune, you get affected by it in such a dramatic way that you lose a part of yourself or you get an effect from it. And there are 25 different ones. Would Chardé like to tell us what they are?
1: Oh, you mean a dramatic reading?
0: A dramatic reading of the insanity table.
1: I would go like full balls to the wall, dramatic, put on an accent. But some of these terms are honestly egregious. And I feel like if I did that, it'd be a bit tone deaf. So I'm not gonna. I mean, yeah. I'll just yeah. list them. I'll just list them in my regular person voice. <clears throat> so from top to bottom, I won't like list off the percentage rolls because that can get a bit that'll get a bit boring. I'll just cause it, it's broken up into two sides. So on the left hand side, like any other table, you have a percentile dice roll. So numbers one through a hundred. And on the right side it's labeled insanity gained. So under that, agoraphobia, alcoholism, amnesia, anorexia Catatonia, claustrophobia, dementia, dementia praecox, grandiose delusions, hebraphrenia, homicidal mania, kleptomania, lunacy, mania, manic depressive, megalomania, melancholia, Monoma- monomania, paranoia, pathological liar phobia, sadomasochism, schizoid, schizophrenia, suicidal mania. Let that sink in for a second. All those lovely
0: terms. They're all bad. <laughs> like it's all bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's all bad. TLDR it's all it's all bad. These are clinical <laughs> psychological terms and w- you may know some of them. You may not know all of them. We don't really have time to go through all of them. But if you are interested, they are on page 93 of the AD&D DM guide. We could potentially make a list of them in our sources with the yeah description that it gives.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think that'll be helpful. We could take some screenshots and yeah, put that in our sources. I think that'll be really helpful.
0: Yeah. So... If you didn't know what all all of them mean, don't fret. Neither did we. Neither did we.
1: (laughs) But there are a couple that stick out. So should we talk about those first before maybe going into some of the other stuff we have?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we can do that.
1: Since we're on the topic. Mm -hmm. So I think you're the one who originally found this table, right? And Mm -hmm. I I think what the term that you said really like set off your curiosity was anorexia,
0: Mm -hmm. I think,
1: was the first one that really stuck out. And then I looked at it, I, yeah, anorexia sticks out, alcoholism, suicidal mania. These terms are not only just not politically correct, they're just insensitive, I suppose, because there are people like really people in the world that are suffering with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it it is, it is blatantly said. If you like fail this role, your character can become anorexic. Mm -hmm. Your character can become an alcoholic. Your character can develop schizophrenia. I suppose some people might want to play with like that, but I don't know if I ever would want to play like that.
0: I mean, it's one of those things that in this day and age, playing in D&D, like if you want to play with themes like this, you feel free to do so. But that's within the confines of your own game and if the, you're going to have to have people who are willing to also play you know, with these themes so find a group you can play with and then hopefully you know maybe you can use it to find empathy or for people who do suffer from these but like it's a bit it's something that you can't play with everyone because obviously these are real these are real things that people go through and yeah, mm-hmm. it's a bit insensitive to use it to make to to make fun or to to, to make challenge. Players. Yeah, to yeah. to have fun with it because it's it's something that other people actually have as a as a real problem in their lives. That it's it's not fun to have, and then using it to have fun. It's it's a bit. It's it's
1: it almost trivializes it if that's the right term yeah it kind of it, it turns something that's very real and we know gary Gygax loved his tables we've talked at length about gary Gygax's process of game design we know that and i i want to give you know him and whoever else had their hand in this the benefit of the doubt that they didn't mean to be offensive mm-hmm. and they didn't mean to trivialize anything but also gary Gygax was a man who was very careful with his words and was very articulate. Mm-hmm. So I feel like th- it had to have been on their radar that using these words carries a certain weight. And when you trivialize something as intense and as so many people have been through, like these many of these are disorders that still carry the same names today. it 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 it
0: just, I don't know, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. The words themselves, I think they carry baggage. And I think they have certain stereotypes attached to them. And playing with these terms specifically, it's a bit iffy, I would say, personally. The game mechanic itself, I don't really have a problem with. Yeah, there's actions have consequences. Having combat and... Having a character experience combat, it makes sense that they could be so fundamentally traumatized by something that they have a, a character development or a personality change or, or something. But I don't know, it's just that maybe using the terms or basing it off of real illnesses or naming mm-hmm. the real illnesses it it just seems insensitive to people who actually have these
1: and i think we can safely assume that people who either have these any of the any of the things that are listed here or know of people who do, I have a feeling that they would never use this option in their game. No. Which is good that it's an option. Let's give them that, like, yeah, it's an optional rule. It's not like you have to use them.
0: No, it's an optional rule, and it's one of those things where if you play with the X card, which is you can say no to certain topics that without explanation, that you would be able to just say, like, no, absolutely not. I will not play with these themes or topics. But for context, for context of the table, it does have an explanation. So it does say in the part above the table, it does say the following section is intended as a description of insanity for gaming purposes. The reality of mental illness is very different than the discussion here. It is not our intention to be insensitive towards those with real life mental illnesses. Then
1: why use the terms at all? Like, then if you know that people are going to take it poorly, why publish it at all? Why put it in your book at all? If you have the precognition to say, ooh, people might not react to this well, take it out. Or work with a sensitivity coach, which I don't know if they existed. Again, we're very aware that we're coming at this from like a new millennium perspective. And we, you know, the 70s were a very different time. But if they, if they had the precognition to put this disclaimer in it, then why the hell did they keep it in? And why did they use those terms? It just, there's no, the logic there doesn't make sense to me personally.
0: I think I think they had an idea of what they wanted and they wanted effects of combat and I don't think they knew exactly how to go about doing them because again I'm just looking at the rhetoric here it's like even the even the title of well not the title but the it says at the top insanity gained like you gain anorexia gain is something positive it's a positive connotation and then you gain anorexia that is that's so wrong on so many levels like maybe if it said like effect caused or insanity effect or anything else but like the word gained is just just no don't use
1: that word can I can I just say I'm so proud of you for looking into
0: the rhetoric of this? I'm this learning from giddy. the best. <laughs> I have a great teacher.
1: Oh. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but I mean you're you're completely right. Like the rhetoric here is completely it, it's off and I don't think they meant offense, but I think they knew people would be offended and the fact that they just did it anyway maybe speaks to I don't know again, opinions, this isn't facts, but maybe speaks to their ego or they knew they weren't going to get called out on it. And I don't think they were at the time. I couldn't find anything. I could very well be wrong. People could have reacted to this very poorly at the time. But I couldn't find any anything or anyone um, in my research who mm-hmm. reacted poorly to this because, again, we'll get into this in the next section, but how people viewed mental health, very, very different. There are some very key things going on in mental health in the 70s, which... I don't know if it may have inspired the way that these were written or desensitized them to the way they were written, but
0: that that's also in play here. And we, we get that, I guess. We get that. Plus, I would say that AD&D was the first, was the first of its kind a game, a ga- the game that it was. And mm-hmm. there was so much to the game itself that I I don't know, that maybe it just... Because of the exhaustive amount of, like, different stuff that you could do with the game, maybe it just kind of slipped through the cracks. And then because mental health wasn't a big deal, that it was just, you know, another small part of the game, it was an optional element that you could add to your game that people just didn't notice. Maybe they noticed. Maybe they played. Let us know if you have. But I maybe it wasn't a big deal because of that. And it didn't get noticed.
1: Yeah. No, that that could be it too. And I think kind of, you know, another angle of this, and this is where I get super analytical, so this is even above opinions. Some of the terms that are used here mean the same thing, which is kind of odd to me personally. So when I started looking, I didn't look into all the terms because we just didn't have time and then this episode would have just been us going through every single term, which might be some people's cup of tea. But, you know. We had other things we wanted to talk about. So I looked in. I didn't know what dementia precox meant. So I looked into what that meant. And apparently it's an early term that was used for schizophrenia from 1891 to 1924. It was first used by a professor, a psychiatry professor at Charles University in Prague. And it's described as severe incurable cognitive disintegration beginning in early adulthood. And now it is linked to. Schizophrenia, like it's it's schizophrenia before schizophrenia was schizophrenia. So why do you have dementia precox and schizophrenia on the same table if it means the same thing? That is a
0: very good question. (laughs) Well,
1: thanks. (laughs) And I think we had a conversation with a friend of ours before we recorded this. That when we were listing off all of the things on this table, they said, "Well, a lot of these things are all." Um, what is it, early symptoms of schizophrenia. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. Like a lot
1: of these things are just tied to schizophrenia. Like I think, uh, what did they say? Um, Catatonia. mm -hmm. Catatonia, hebephrenia. And I mean, a, a bunch of this stuff just leads to schizophrenia, which I don't really know what I have to say about that. I just thought it was something to point out. Like you have more of a chance to get schizophrenia on this table than anything else. Which I don't know why that is, and I don't know how. If it's, I don't know if it's intentional, and I don't know.
0: Yeah, he 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 is a um, psychology major who we talked to, and he was saying that especially. Well, the example that I have is catatonia was a or is a schizophrenia symptom. Mm -hmm. So in a way, they're looking at different symptoms but still or like labeling different symptoms but still giving them but giving them names and using clinical terms but but they're not being they're not being correct about it and i think that's just the weird part there's no lot there's no logical way that they're doing this
1: that's i i mean no i i think you're right i think they're Again, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but yeah, they they broke up this insanity table just also in just a not logical way, when you have like dementia precox and schizophrenia on the same one, and then catatonia is a symptom, but it's also its own disorder, but it's so tied to schizophrenia that you can't unsee that. So the logic of this table, which is weird because Gygax was very meticulous on a lot of things. So the fact that there are things that I can point out are a bit that's a bit odd to me.
0: Yeah, but we. now that I think about it, we also do know that Gygax had a thing for words and using fancy words and words that he would look up in a dictionary thesaurus. So I have a feeling he wanted just... He just wanted 25 different game mechanics that you could play with. It didn't matter if they were medically correct or psychologically correct. And he looked up fancy words. He looked up definitions or effects that were different enough that you could incorporate into the game. And then he just went with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a possible explanation. Because, I mean, dementia precox sounds better than schizophrenia. Because dementia precox is an earlier term for it. So if you want to be, like, Obviously, none in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. We know that it's based in a medieval period, so none of these terms even existed back then. This is more for player reference. Mm-hmm. So, even adding that, it's just the logic. The logic doesn't make sense. It just does not make sense. Yeah, <laughs> because like even when if you use older terms, they're from like the 19th century. They're not. Why not? Oh wait, no, that's a disease. I was gonna say why not dysentery, and I'm like that's a disease.
0: It's not. Mm. <laughs> psychological <laughs> but if we if we compare dementia precox, okay, so we'll we'll read out the two definitions. So dementia precox is the afflicted character will be quite uninterested in undertaking anything when suffering from this form of madness. Nothing will seem worthwhile, and the individual will be continually filled with lassitude and a tremendous tremendous feeling of ennui. No matter how important the situation, it is probable that the afflicted will choose to ignore it as meaningless to him. A DC-20 wisdom save overcomes this ennui. Ennui? Ennui. Ennui. Just means it's a fancy word for effect. Yeah. (laughs) And compare that to schizophrenia. So though they are the same clinical affliction... Schizophrenia is defined as the character's personality splits into 1d3 separate personalities, each of which may have a different alignment or even class. Typically, the personalities are not aware of each other. The onset of schizophrenia is random, with a DC-10 wisdom save being made every day. Should this save fail, there is an even chance of a new or return to the old, personality emerging. However, whenever a stress situation, decision, attack, etc., arises, the chance of schizophrenia striking must be checked every round in which the stress continues.
1: It sounds even more, I mean, obviously, but it sounds so much more gamey when you read it out like that. Yeah, so
0: it's clinical terms, but it's... A game mechanic, it's just looking at clinical terms as a game mechanic. And it doesn't matter if they are the same thing. It doesn't matter if one is a symptom of the other. It doesn't matter if they are all effects of one term. There's a fancy word for it. There is a game mechanic that he can input into play. And you can roll a D100 and gain one of them. And then off you go. The world builder part of me is just like that's so lazy just come up with your own
1: terms like this whole thing could be fixed if he was just a little (laughs) bit more creative take a creative writing class ghost of Gary Gygax you can come up with a bunch of different weird names for things and I mean again it 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 wouldn't get rid of the connotation of having a table for quote insanity is still very problematic but at least it wouldn't Tie to real life afflictions, you know, Mm -hmm. like coming up with made up diseases. Then again, I'm coming at it from a completely different perspective, and I understand that. But like, yeah, if you're gonna use real terms and then make up what they like your version of what they mean, it just becomes more convoluted and confusing. Mm. When you could just make up a word or make up a term and be like, "Oh, schizophrenia," you mean many minds. And it's one word with like a oh oh no it's elvish and it has many like M-E-N-N-I and then a little like a little flick and then M-Y N D S many minds.
0: Elvish, you're welcome. <laughs> this has been a what world building exercise with Chardonnay? World building
1: 101. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> I guess before we end this section out. Actually, I have more things to say. Oh, do you? Please, no, please say them. And then we can maybe, because we also didn't talk about that these things can be cured too. I think we skipped over that. It's not permanent. I think it's worth mentioning before (laughs) we do closing thoughts on this section.
0: So another part of the introduction that says that like, okay, so you have this whole thing where like, this is not the reality of mental illness. And you know, it's not our intention to be insensitive. And then the next line Note that this list is not so comprehensive as to preclude any addition you desire. Just be sure that you follow the spirit of the rules here. Add more mental illnesses. Do more things. Gamify more illnesses.
1: Just... Oh, yeah. It's basically a call to just like, hey, you, you, we didn't talk about a disease. We didn't talk about another illness. You can do that.
0: And it also does... So, it also does uh, kind of mention how a player might be uncomfortable playing said illness. So, it does, it does actually mention this as it says, um, As DM, you may have to assume the role of the insane character whenever the madness strikes, as many players are not comfortable playing under such circumstances
1: then don't use the rule then don't use the rule why would you purposefully i have to lower my voice i'm gonna blow out my mic why would you purposefully use a mechanic that makes players uncomfortable that's like you want your players to have fun not to be uncomfortable i mean uncomfortable in certain situations sure like you're running a horror campaign you want like eeriness you put on some music you do some weird descriptions of blurred. You know, uncomfortable, a little bit icky. Yeah, that, sure, that's fine. But th- th- this, <laughs> it doesn't ring the same. Like, my players aren't comfortable dealing with mental illness in a game. D- don't. Just don't.
0: The thing Period. Is, Move on. The thing is, Gary Gygax always said, do what your players find fun. And now he has this optional rule set, right? And set the insanity table. It's an effect of using magic and stuff so you roll for it your players are uncomfortable using it but that's okay um the way around it the loophole here is have the dm play the insane character because that's how that works is that better spoiler alert that's not how that works it's a loophole but is it better no
1: no it is not better
0: so yeah that's that's kind of what well that's the context of the description that goes before the table but that's that's what I have for the table and I think I think uh, I have so many opinions <laughs> but yeah I I I also
1: have so many opinions <laughs> so many most of which is negative but you know that's not that's not the only part of this podcast we have to get into the benefit of the doubt we have to contextualize why this yes. happened we could rant all day every day and many of you might listen to that but for now <laughs> why don't maybe we end off this section with how can you cure these illnesses in D? how can you further gamify these illnesses by also giving another mechanic to magically not be mentally unwell anymore.
0: So you can cure any insanities that you may have gained by a number of spells, including improved restoration, heal, limited wish, miracle, or wish spells. Because apparently there are multiple wish spells, and that just baffles me for having only played 5e and there Mm -hmm. being one. And knowing what the wish spell is. Having multiple. <laughs> you can also heal it with healing potions, apparently. Oh, weird. Which is weird. But yeah, it's... You can combat it with objects, potions, spells. But again, what what does that say about actual mental illnesses? Mm-hmm. Just gonna say. That you... It's... I don't even have the words to describe what I feel about
1: that. Like it kind of gives me the vibe of like these mental illnesses can only be cured in this game world, which is kind of a mirror of our own world, but is its own world. These mental illnesses can only be cured by magic. Not by therapy, force of will, any other thing, just magic and yikes not medicines because alchemy I think even existed in AD&D if I'm not mistaken I could be wrong about that like natural remedies also exist mm. but the only way to cure the insanity that you gained as a game mechanic it has to be magical and I feel like that carries with it its own weird implications mm-hmm. again by using again if these were just made up diseases it'd be a different thing if these were made up ailments it'd be a different thing but if they had their own names.
0: I don't know if I'd be as mad. I'd be weirded out, but I wouldn't be as mad. But then again, Gygax just loved taking things from the real world and shoving them into his game, be it real gods or real illnesses, because he did very... Well, he had some original monsters and such, but there were... Like the drow? Like the mm-hmm. drow? Mm-hmm. <coughs> Don't, don't, just, <laughs> just, just don't. This is Too not soon. the drow episode, Jarday. we We're not talking about the. Dr-
1: Every episode is the drow episode, Lissa. Every episode is the drow episode. <laughs> but um, any any other opinions we got before we move on to part two? Because I think we could talk about this section all day. We don't have time to, but I think we could.
0: No, Anything, I think
1: any last sentiments? There'
0: nothing about. The insanity table at this current moment. Thank you.
1: <laughs> okay. So I guess then it's time to move on to part two. Context. Well, hello. It's me, Sade, here with another mid-roll ad. Today's episode is sponsored by the Justice Speakers Institute Since 2015, the Justice Speakers Institute has been the gateway to justice system leaders worldwide. Its founders and associates are internationally recognized experts with decades of experience and mastery of over 300 subjects impacting the justice system. JSI has an unparalleled breadth of expertise on subjects from procedural fairness, drug and alcohol testing, mental health and substance use disorders, and administration of justice to domestic violence. It is the mission of JSI to be the essential resource on justice issues. Their vision is to promote justice and the rule of law worldwide. They will consult with you to meet your program objectives, whether you need a keynote speaker, a presenter, an editor, or a consultant. JSI provides exceptional consulting services based on their core values of excellence, integrity, respect, commitment, insight, collaboration, and fun. Get in touch at justicespeakersinstitute.com slash contact. Thank you so much, JSI, for sponsoring. Now, back to the show. Part two, context, a.k.a. Sharday goes on a rant for 30 to 45 minutes about why this table happened. Maybe, possibly. These are all theories.
0: And Lissa gives opinions. <laughs>
1: Exactly. It'll be great. It'll be so much fun. So first, I'm going to talk about mental health and the environment of mental health in the 60s and 70s, like what was going on, what people were talking about. And then we'll go briefly into some media tropes that have been around for a hot minute. And they have maybe also have influenced the insanity table, just to give a little bit of a little bit of spice, a little bit of context. Let me give you all a history lesson (laughs) about what was going on in the 60s and the 70s. Please do. I'm going to be it's very brief and um, I'm going to be glossing over a lot. I'm just going to go over the relevant points or else, again, we'd be here all day. This is a very big topic because the first thing I'm going to talk about is deinstitutionalization. Deinstitutionalization. Lisa, do you know what deinstitutionalization is?
0: The opposite of institutionalization. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong.
1: <laughs> it is kind of that. It's defined as the policy of moving the severely mentally ill out of large areas state institutions and then closing part or all of those institutions. So this happened specifically in the U.S., but I believe it happened elsewhere. But I just focus my research on the U.S. because Dungeons and Dragons was made in the U.S. And so they would have been exposed to U.S. news, which we all know was closed off from the world. Very unlikely they would know what was going on elsewhere. And deinstitutionalization is a very complicated issue. And... I'm just going to be going over what I found that I think is going to be relevant. So this is not a deep dive into deinstitutionalization, but it was a big hot button issue at the time. So in 1955, after the invention of antipsychotic drugs, I'm I'm going to butcher these names, chlorpromazine, also known as thorazine, those are antipsychotic drugs that were invented around this time, And their invention, along with the growing distaste of the public surrounding asylums, sanitariums, mental health institutions, that kind of led to deinstitutionalization. So these two factors. As far as public perception went, people by this point in the 50s and the 60s knew that the conditions within asylums and sanitariums were not great. The public perception was down, arguably, since if anybody's familiar with Nellie Bly, dude, do we have any Nellie Bly fans in the audience? I love Nellie Bly. She's my favorite. She's the first literary journalist or no, first investigative investigative journalist. And she published a piece called Ten Days in a Madhouse, where she pretended to be mad. And went into an asylum. She basically checked herself in and exposed how awful the living conditions were and how badly the people within the institutions were treated. And that was back in the 1850s, I believe, or it was like the late 1800s, early 1900s. So as soon as she published that piece, people were like, uh, these are not great places. We should probably shut them down. And pair that with the invention of an antipsychotic drug that seemed to alleviate a lot of the symptoms from what people were getting getting admitted into these institutions for, you got the deinstitutionalization process. The public supported it. Politicians supported it. So it started happening. We now know that that probably wasn't the best idea to close down mental institutions. Really? Yeah. Why do you think that is, Lissa? Why do you think it was so bad to close to close down these institutions? And I'm not saying, like, there were some vi- people who are being treated very poorly. I personally believe those ones should have been shut down. But well, as a whole, yeah. as a whole, why do you think that was a bad call?
0: So wait, where where did these people... Where were these people who used to be in mental institutions they were put? Oh, that's – yeah, You. that's my next point.
1: You got right on it. They were thrown out onto the street. (laughs) They were uh, basically just thrown out. Nobody wanted them. It actually led to homelessness when people threw out the – I don't really know what to call them really – the patients, I guess, because these were basically Mm -hmm. hospitals – when people threw these patients out, they were either homeless or they started putting them into hospital beds in regular hospitals, which took up beds from the other kinds of sick people. So people who are have chronic illnesses, who were hit by a car, any other reason you would go to the hospital. And the, the bed size from like these big mental health institutions, like you had hundreds of beds, shrank by like, I think it was like 150%. So they were either in regular hospitals or they were just thrown out onto the street. There was no in-between. And a lot of people believe that this is a catalyst for the current American mental health crisis. So people not getting treatment and the public perception of mental health for a very long time with being tied to homelessness – has kind of a direct connection to deinstitutionalization Mm -hmm. it's not the only thing but there is a connection there and they also didn't have any sort of rehabilitation plan they didn't ensure that these people received the medication that was just invented they there were no programs to get any of these patients to live successfully in the community so they were homeless and if they weren't homeless they were in regular hospitals and if they weren't in either of those places, there's a third place that they ended up. You wanna guess what that is? Dead? Oh, okay, maybe a fourth place. (laughs) Oh, dark. Ooh. I mean this whole this whole episode's very dark, but that got real dark. (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean no it's (laughs) I mean, unfortunately you're not wrong. So yeah, they either passed away or they ended up in jail. Ah,
0: yes. My brain was they... just like, let's not think about jail. It's just yep, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: You did. I mean, same mind. Just go to the darkest place. We've had we've had a rough year and a half. I mean, wh- whose mind doesn't go to the darkest place when <laughs> awful conversations like this are brought up? Let's be honest. Yeah. So they basically ended up everywhere that they shouldn't have been and didn't receive the care that they need. Around this time, when deinstitutionalization happened. The president at the time, John F. Kennedy, actually did sign a bill to create community mental health centers, but very few were built because he was assassinated very soon after that. I think it was the last bill that he signed into law, and then he passed away, and then everybody's like, well, don't don't need to do that. He's gone. We got his VP now, and his VP didn't see any of his plans through, but you know. It's just the way politics works, baby. <laughs> mm. it, the the deinstitutionalization is a term. I saw that a lot of people are now saying that it's maybe most well-known by people who study it as one of the largest social experiments in American history, which is such a weird and morbid way to think about it. An experiment? Like a social experiment because they didn't know what was going to happen to the mentally ill. After they released them with no plan, no beds, no nothing, or at least there's not evidence that they did, and if there is, I didn't find it. I mean, and if I did find it, it would might have been dark, <laughs>
0: probably. Or they just maybe they just didn't even care. If you I, <laughs> I think they didn't care because just logic dictates, or my logic would dictate that if you take people who are mentally ill and who need care and put them on the street. Nothing good's going to come out of it. But maybe maybe that's just me. They probably just didn't care. And for a long time, the public just flat
1: out didn't care about mental health. That that, that didn't change for decades. Yeah. It's only in the last five, ten years that people have really talked about it. Mm -hmm. And like taken it seriously other than like trained professionals. Yeah. The last little bit I'll get into about deinstitutionalization is the public perception of it because this is kind of why this is. I think, relevant because de- institutionalization was going on at this time. It was in all the newspapers. It was a topic of conversation if these conversations were had. And one reason that we know this is that a lot of articles came out around this time. A lot of studies came out around this time. And as we know, Gary Gygax was a very well-read person. He was very in tune to what was going on around him, I think it could be safely said. So there's no way to prove that he based any of his knowledge or any of his creative inspiration on this but I feel like it would have been hard to escape if this stuff was going on but that's just my opinion so this is a political warning warning political (laughs) political warning (laughs) warning political I'm I'll try real hard to not get too into it but um it, it's kind of hard to talk about deinstitutionalization without talking about how politics handled it too i kind of briefly got into it but i'll get a little bit more into it because i think it's relevant
0: you know what you just did reminds me of like <laughs> is it like one of those like prison like prison <laughs> sounds <laughs>
1: but they- it's a kill bill sirens. <laughs>
0: I should just play that every
1: time I get political. <laughs> Please do. So the reason I'm getting into politics a little bit, and this is historical politics. So the mass political movements of this era did not like the concept of mental health from what I found, which kind of goes along with, I think, Melissa and mine's theory that they just didn't unfortunately they just didn't give a, give a shit and this is from all sides i found this wonderful article i forget who wrote it but it was a timeline of mental health and the treatment of mental health and the perception of mental health in new york state and that's where i'm getting a lot of this information from i'll link it in the sources the new left which i think could safely be attributed to more liberal leaning politics but i think a far like far left Um, They saw institutions, sanitariums, asylums. They saw them as tools of, quote, the establishment. So they didn't like it because it was the man, I guess. (laughs) Like it was the establishment. People should be free, not locked up in cages kind of thing, which I can see. But also these people needed help. (laughs) On the other side... (laughs) Conservatives denounce mental health as a covert means of advancing a liberal or radical political agenda. I'm trying really hard not to give my opinion on that. (laughs) Real hard trying real hard. So both sides had their reasons for like denouncing conversations on mental health and denouncing institutions. That's fun. I don't know how to pronounce this word, so please forgive me. Last but not least, a nation patient liberation movement denounced psychiatry and mental institutions as instruments of oppression. So literally, wherever you, wherever you fell on the political spectrum at this time, nobody liked institutions. They found some way or another to justify closing them down. But you know who liked them? You want to you wanna know who liked them? Feminists and the LGBTQ community. They liked it and they liked conversations around mental health and they pushed for it. Even back then, I thought that was worth mentioning because everything seemed bad in this section. So I thought I would mention that. <laughs> the people were pushing back and it was exactly who you would expect it was. So gay rights activists in 1973... They forced the American Psychiatric Association, after deinstitutionalization was basically all done, to assert that homosexuality is not a mental disorder. That
0: happened in 1973. Go feminists and gay rights activists. I There are good people back then. <laughs> there were good people back then.
1: There were. <laughs> I hope that, you know, if we were born during this time, we would... Still have the opinions that we have. I think about that all the time, actually. Like, if I was born, because I mean, we're born. We're both white, (laughs) cis white. Hmm. We're we're born into privilege. I have that conversation with myself a lot, where it's just like, if I was born in another time, do I really think that I would have the kind of opinions I have? And I want to say yes, but honestly, the scary part is I have no idea. That's That's terrifying.
0: terrifying. That is a terrifying thought because I am of the opinion that you get your ideas from your surroundings. So, Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: Like, I started becoming, like, having feminist ideals and becoming more, I, I don't like using labels too much, but, like, becoming more liberal, I guess, in ideology when I went to my undergrad. And, like, women were going to university at this time, but... I mean, not a lot, not as much as they are now. So would I have been provided the opportunity to do that? I don't know. It's scary. I don't like it. <laughs> I do not like thinking about that. But we got to think about hard things sometimes. Otherwise, we think that we're all perfect, and that is absolutely untrue. Everybody has room to grow, and everybody can be wrong, including us. Your friendly neighborhood slovenly trawls. We can absolutely be wrong. Make sure to fact check us on our sources. Please do. Get our page engagement up. Please do. Call us out on Twitter if we ever get anything wrong. Or you're just like, your opinion is wrong. Be like, well, that's technically a fallacy,
0: but sure. (laughs) Incorrect, because opinions cannot be right or wrong. (laughs) Opinions are opinions. So the last thing I'll say about
1: 1960s, 1970s politics is from the feminist angle. Again, a good note to end on in this mini section within the context. Feminists at this time asserted that psychiatrists wittingly or unwittingly sought to compel women to accept their subordination. So they were going to see psychiatrists and they felt that they were being treated unfairly. So they fought for their rights instead of like denouncing mental health and denouncing psychiatric care. They fought against it. And this article, the um, survey of New York state po- uh, policies and politics around mental health, states that radical women in the 1960s and 1970s pushed backs against orthodoxy and mental medicine, but also against wider, patriarchal, wider patriarchy in the country. They challenged the cultural and medical norms. Fuck yes. Yes. <laughs> and one of the... Articles that I thought really stood out to me um, it was an article by Dr. Phyllis Chesler that came out in the early seventies called "The Sensuous Psychiatrist." The sensuous, the sensuous, the sensuous psychiatrist. Yeah. Psychiatrist. Oh, it gets worse. Many therapists during this time regarded sex with patients, aka a romp on the couch, as said in this survey. As p- a potentially productive element of the therapeutic process, what sex between uh, what a doctor and their patient was said to be healthy and good for psychological development and therapy? Was it what? Wait, consensual? That's a whole other debate, <laughs> whether or not it's consent Because there's obviously the power dynamic, right? And when that big of a power dynamic is in play, the question of consent is always very gray and blurry oh and usually... Oh my god, no. So mm. thankfully, there's a good ending to that story. After that was published, it then the act of sex between a therapist and their client began to get declared unethical from the years 1973 to 1977 and now it's it continues to be unethical to this day thank god probably do it which is weird but like it's unethical and you shouldn't (laughs) like that's so that one was that that fact wasn't really relevant but like I wanted to mention it anyway because I thought it was interesting that this was also going on at the same time Feminists and members of the LGBTQ community like during this time were still pushing for shit. All of this deinstitutionalization was going on. And I can only imagine the amount of coverage that they got in like newspapers and like the nightly news. Did Walter Cronkite talk about it? Was Walter Cronkite even around this time? Probably not. I don't know. I just know he's an old timey news anchor that said that's the way it is. What's the last thing I have here? The definition of mental illness expanded during this time to include minor mental disorders and difficulty in coping with life crises is the last fact that I have. So I wonder if that expansion had anything to do with going back to the relevance of this section (laughs) in the insanity table. I wonder if that expansion had anything to do with stuff like phobias being included maybe on the table when maybe they wouldn't be before maybe yeah or like um uh what's the other one Me- not megalomania <laughs> nope that's that melancholia stuff that that affects your everyday life rather than like really big buzzword terms like manic depressive or um schizophrenic or something
0: mm. Yeah, because that was a bit weird that they had that.
1: Yeah, they the insanity table has a lot of – there's a lot of dichotomy between some of the terms. Like some of them are a lot more tame when compared to the weight that others hold. So I don't know. It's a possible explanation. It might not be the right one, but it's a possible one. But yeah, that's that's my mini explanation history lesson on mental health, deinstitutionalization – feminism, LGBTQ plus stuff going on in this time period that may or may not have led to, I I don't know, what do you think? What do you think? Because I I went on a real deep dive of all of this. so I kind of got wrapped up in a lot of the history of it. Do you think any of this context kind of contextualizes the table a bit more? I
0: think it does. I think you you often see depictions of or well if you don't do research on it you do see depictions of I think mental health from back then in media and I think for me the ones that pop up that I've watched well I mean there's American Horror Story Asylum which oh sure you know obviously it's a horror it's a horror TV show so obviously there's horror but there are certain truths in that and how they handle the patients there, and stuff like Shutter Island, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, that kind of stuff. So it's it's not surprising, but finding out the reason why it may have been that way, and then I think mental illness just has a bad a bad image, I think, because a lot of media uses mental illness as mm, or uses uses the antagonist and his motivations being well let's just make him mentally ill so here's johnny uh,
1: <laughs> i mean that is a wonderful segue into the next section that i have for context <laughs> if you, if I, it's cool for me to move on to it, unless you have anything else to say about deinstitutionalization or stuff that's actually a pretty good segue into the last part of my context that's fine
0: Let's let's move on
1: another possible angle that because when I was thinking about how to contextualize this episode obviously the historical aspect but I also ended up thinking of my one of my favorite topics to talk about and think about villains if you know anything about me you know I love a good villain <laughs> in movies in TV, in anything, and then for some reason, when I was looking at the insanity table, I'm like, these these terms and seeing them all in the same space kind of got me thinking of a mad villain, a quote, mad villain, like a villain whose one or more of their personality traits is dependent on the fact that they are, if not explicitly mentally ill, then it is very heavily implied that they are mentally ill. And I thought that was maybe worth talking about a little bit um, in terms of like pop culture and TV Mm -hmm. and books, etc. We talked a little bit about tropes in our episode with our wonderful friend Megan. What was that? Episode four?
0: Maybe. It was the one
1: that we did with Lord Soth and Mm -hmm. Count Strahd. I went a lot into the tropes of different kinds of gothic horror villains. Uh, So I thought maybe that would be a nice route to contextualize this bit because there are a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of tropes about mad villains and psychosis as a trait of evildoers, which I will link to. I'm only going to talk about a few of them because we don't have time to talk about all of them because, oh boy, are there a lot, as you can imagine. So some that I found that I thought were especially relevant to the context of the insanity table and maybe these tropes kind of even go hand in hand with some of the terms. The first that I found, which took so many, it was hard to even narrow it down. I picked three. So one of them is axe crazy. Somebody in me. So these are all in the context of media. So someone who, a villain who is acts crazy, which is a person who is psychologically unstable and presents a clear and present danger to others, defined as psychologically unstable. Mm. Uh, and all, all of these definitions I'm pulling from TV tropes, which is one of the best websites to go on deep dives on of all time. If you ever have some hours to spare, they literally have a button, like two buttons on the top of their site. Like, hey, give me a random trope or give me a random character. And I'm just like, oh, man, <laughs> spend hours there. Um, but anyway, <laughs> acts crazy. Some examples I thought of for this one were Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. And literally any serial killer, whether it's a true crime documentary or a – who's a good – I'm not a big horror person, so my horror knowledge is very limited, but I'm guessing Jason? I want to – who's the guy from Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Jason – isn't there like Freddy Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees? Uh, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger from A Nightmare on Elm Street. He has those knife fingers and he goes into your dreams. And there's the Texas ca- Chainsaw Massacre where the killer literally has a chainsaw. Mm. And I'm pretty sure it's in Texas. <laughs> but any serial killer, I think you could maybe define as, quote, axe. They don't have to have an axe to be axe crazy. Oh, but that, Norman Bates. they kind Bates. of fall into that. Norman Bates. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they... In order to fall into this trope, they have to be psychologically unstable, which I I think anyone who is somewhat familiar with the craze of true crime in the last couple of years or going on any sort of deep dive into serial killer lore, they're, they're usually very mentally, psychologically unstable. Another one that I found, which I didn't know there was a term for, but now I just can't unsee it. It's called the Caligula. Caligula. Do you know who Caligula is?
0: No, who's the who it's a who it's a whom
1: it's it's named after an actual real life person the
0: Caligula okay who 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 is it?
1: Caligula is the name of a Roman I believe it's a Greek or Roman ruler. Um my friend, if he ever listens to this podcast will literally kill me. he I think he he's like a a Greek Roman aficionado. so the fact that I don't know if it's Greek or Roman is really gonna piss him off. sorry. Sorry, Lawrence. Um, <laughs> Caligula was um he's the mad king basically. He inherited power because of his family. He either ha- he had some sort of mental instability before he inherited the throne, so he basically turned into somebody who was just he just caused like a lot of chaos, a lot of genocide, murder. Yeah. And just like used his power and then a lot of people just didn't want to stand up to him because he was, you know, the old um, view of he's the god's chosen. He is the king. So people didn't like standing up to him. That's a very watered down version. I know I'm missing a lot. (laughs) But for context, it was a real person in history, which makes it kind of worse. So the trope named after Caligula, the Caligula, is defined as someone who inherits the throne despite their, quote, obvious insanity, unquote, with disastrous consequences. (laughs) So some examples that I thought of were the Mad King from Game of Thrones, King Aerys II Targaryen. Also Cersei, I think it could be argued. She kind of falls into this as well. Mm. Very obviously unstable insane disastrous consequences of the rule and also for a more literary example uh claudius in hamlet he killed to inherit the throne but he's he, he killed his own brother to inherit the throne it's crazy who do that who'd do that uh <laughs> the last one uh that i thought to mention i think probably the one people might even be the most familiar with is the mad scientist trope which is defined as a mentally unsound scientific genius. So example, Dr. Frankenstein. I think Dr. Jekyll could also be as well. He could be a mad scientist. And then one that isn't actually an evil example that was listed on TV tropes and one that I was familiar with, Dr. Emmett Brown is technically a mad scientist, but he's like a cuddly mad scientist. He's from Back to the Future. He invents time travel in a DeLorean, but he's also he he invented he gets the idea for a flux capacitor after bumping his head on the toilet <laughs> crazy as they would say so there those are just a handful of examples there are many different tropes of mad villains and most of them are evil most of them Emmett Brown being excluded and I think there are a couple other ones that are also excluded I don't know can you think of any anybody who is in pop culture that is psychologically insane or unstable like as defined by the the tropes of the media
0: that maybe isn't evil well i mean there's an interesting thing happening in media now where they want to look at the backstories of characters that have considerably bit or have stereotypically been like evil in stories so i'm like the first thing that comes to mind is like Batman, where you have Poison Ivy goes insane. Um, you have the scarecrow, you have the penguin, you have Mr. Freeze that we we already discussed on this podcast. Spoilers, his wife is dead. <laughs> and and actually that for that episode, um, that was episode five. I did look that up. Okay, it was. Wow. (laughs) One off. I was one off. We found a lot. It's fine. But yeah, they get depicted as being crazy, being evil, being insane. But they do, well, some of them do have like an actual motivation that sort of makes sense. Poison Ivy just wants to help plants, but she just goes a little bit crazy. Well, well, not not a little bit crazy, but she just goes. She gets enthusiastic about having plants overtake the world, and I think there can be something said that mad women is its own entire oh yeah section of madness. That's a whole. That's episode. a whole episode.
1: I think that's what I thought this episode was originally going to be. Like we were going to talk more about hysteria and the origins of hysteria. And, like, the mad women stuff. But really, like, the, this table doesn't really have any ties to women, I guess. There weren't any terms
0: except maybe melancholia that were associated with women. Well, for me, maybe... For me, maybe, I think, lunacy. I don't know. it. It's not hysteria. Maybe. Like, but that's the closest you can get to something that would... Because in history... Well, lunacy is... I think it was the one where... Where it's tied to the moon and the shapes of the moon or how the moon is. Mm-hmm. So like in Trophy and that. And women have been said to go crazy every time there's a full moon. That it's, it's a thing. It's a trope.
1: Yeah, I've heard it be tied to women's menstrual cycles yeah. and stuff. God, we're just outlining our, one of our future episodes right now. <laughs> It would it's going to be a good episode. We'll get to it eventually. Not today. But there there is something to be said 100%. And I think also before like we do closing thoughts of this section, um, I would be remiss not to mention, actually, before I do that, to point to the relevancy. I don't know if Gary Gygax knew of all of these tropes. But I, I think it can be safely assumed that he and the people who were writing D&D did. And I think that it's kind of, it's pretty clear that they did when you look into later lore of D&D. Which some people who are involved in Advanced Dungeon Dragons had a hand in the lore and some didn't. But I did find instances of a lot of, not a lot of, it's, it's like a handful, but mad gods in D&D so gods that are gods of madness. And those tropes that I just talked about can kind of be seen here because these are all villainous gods. I think there's only one instance of a perhaps chaotic, neutral madness god in D&D in terms of lore. So the gods that I found that were mad gods in D&D are Therizdun, who, if you watch Critical Role... Known as the Chained Oblivion. Ganadar, who, if you listen to our, our last episode, um, you know who Ganadar is. The Slime Lord, Lord of the Slime. <laughs> My favorite <laughs> god, probably, <laughs> at this point in time. Another god named Sirik. Makhthum Nagatha? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Those are the ones I found, but you said you found one that was a chaotic, neutral god, which I thought was really interesting, because all the gods that I found were chaotic- evil or neutral evil or true evil
0: yeah so this one i believe it was from 5e is called ralishaz god of ill luck and insanity so he's a god of trickery and he is essentially for random chance against any kind of order But he believes, and this is the interesting part, he believes that insane people are the ones who are most in tune with the true nature of the universe.
1: Oh, that is super interesting. Yeah. Huh. So his his domain and his godhood actually tackles madness and insanity head on and, like, uses part of their doctrine. Because I think with the other gods, it's just like chaos. You must ensue chaos. And if you're not ensuing chaos, you're doing a bad job. Yeah. Is what I at least what I found that's super interesting and he's chaotic neutral he's chaotic neutral wow the more you know yep but he he's the one who stands out because every other god that has to do with madness is evil just like a lot of the tropes in media mostly lean towards insanity and madness as an evil trait and I thought it was interesting because we're just about out of time for this section so maybe I'll carry over some of my thoughts to our closing thoughts section at the end of the podcast but maybe it's worth mentioning that or, or kind of food for thought that i kind of i wrote down this when i was finishing up the outline as something to maybe think about when madness is used as a personality trait of a villain or god it is not curable but when it is used by a player it is so what does that say about
0: the use of madness in D D? it's a game mechanic It's not, it's not real. It's temporary and it can be cured and it's not normal or it's not the state of normalcy because it's something that happens to you that you can just get over. Mm. You're not born that way. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's, it's meant, it's meant to be overcome. It's meant to be temporary. It's meant to be a bump in the road, but it's not meant to be a permanent struggle. And I also thought and I guess this is my last thought before we move on to part 3 is that incurable madness, so madness that is usually attached to villains in D&D or in media tropes, incurable madness is and continues to be like have a connotation of being bad and curable illnesses are just a bump in the road. So anybody who has a madness that just can't be cured is just a bad person. It's kind of implying. I think it might be a stretch. I understand that, but like I kind of got that vibe mm. when I saw like other because when we were searching throughout D and D for other insanity mechanics, madness stuff, it, it's kind of hard to avoid that every time it's mentioned. It's for nefarious purposes and is either a game mechanic to overcome or if you run into a mad god. Chances are, even if your party, like, I would encourage this in my party, if if they want to, like, help the god, if they want to cure him, if they want to use some greater restoration, it's basically said in – it's said without being said that that wouldn't work because these gods and these villains are just mad and it's it can't be cured and their insanity is tied to mad and their insanity is tied to, like, why they're a bad person. I don't know. Just some food for thought, I guess. I wanted to end on a happier note, but uh, I couldn't find one. So we. <laughs> I don't know. Any last thoughts before we move on? No, I think I've said my piece. Okay. So without
0: further ado, let's move on to part three. Part three. Madness through the ages and hashtag stats. They're back? They're back, baby.
1: Ah!
0: There's not that many, but
1: it's something. Something's better than none. We start out this podcast with so many freaking stats, and I feel like we've been lacking. So honestly, I'm starved from some
0: stats. Oh, well, I got you, girl.
1: Thank you.
0: So this section, we'll be talking about how madness works in D&D. We did do a little bit. Well, we did talk about that a little bit in, I think, the first part. Yeah, we did. Yeah, and I will go into more detail here. So in general, madness tends to be an optional rule that you can use. It has improved, as I'll go into that later, within the different editions of d d So starting from AD&D, we talked about what that was and why that was not the ideal situation or use of the mental health in that way. But madness is, in general, a condition effect like exhaustion, paralysis, or being poisoned. It's usually used for horror games, so like Curse of Strahd, to add, you know, a pizzazz, because it's the result of revulsion and anguish when you see something so terrible that your character realizes a dreadful truth about the universe and it changes their brain and how their brain functions. So you do a wisdom charisma saving throw and determining if you whether or not you fail that, you get side effects from it. But why charisma? That is a good question. So charisma measures the force of personality apparently. So if you have a sparkling personality, don't you worry, your mental
1: health not real. <laughs> you can't you can't go insane. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Isn't that an awful way to look at? I'm so sorry. I feel like this is so pessimistic. We're just laughing through the pain here. We're yeah. really not trying to make fun of anything. It's just laughing through the
0: pain. I mean, the only way to get through this is to <laughs> Yeah. I don't I don't know. Like, for me, maybe it makes sense if you're if you see something so horrible that you're trying to Well, I mean, in the situation that you see like so much death or you see like something. And you're trying to not audibly react to it, that you're holding it in. And then you start, like, that's the immediate reaction I get. But then, like, the whole processing um, and then determining whether or not there's longer term side effects, that doesn't really make sense to me as a charisma. That's more l- wisdom.
1: Like, that. that's where the wisdom makes more sense to me. Because I use wisdom in my games. I've played in games where wisdom, like, saving throws happen a lot. And it usually anytime that something distressing happens, which I talk to the players about usually beforehand, and then to make sure they're cool with rolling for it. Or if not, we can just get past it. But when stuff like that happens, I say like they see something traumatic. Riva, for example, she sees water like make a wisdom save or you just make one on your own to yeah. see if you are you've gained enough wisdom. You have enough sense of your irrational fear to mm-hmm. push past it. I did look into why charisma saving throws were used for this very briefly, and I was <laughs> directed to the D&D Next final playtest, which is what D&D 5E was before it officially got released. It was released as a playtest as, as D&D Next, and there's a PDF. It's I think it's still available online because um, this is where I found it. and for under charisma and under charisma saving throws it says the dm commonly asks you to use charisma when you make a saving throw to resist certain magical compulsions especially those that would overcome your sense of yourself which i when you put it that way it makes more sense but i never Mm. looked at charisma that way before i always thought of it as like a force of personality
0: like you said
1: yeah But then what's the difference between that and wisdom? Anyway, that's a tangent. Keep going.
0: (laughs) Food for thought. Food for thought.
1: So many opinions about saving
0: throws. (laughs) So there are, back to the point, the plot, if you will, there are different kinds of madness, insanity throughout D&D. There's short term, there's long term, or there's... More and more long-term, which is indefinite. So you have short-term, which will last anywhere from 1 to 10 minutes. Long-term, anywhere from up to 10 hours, I think. And indefinite, which will last until you can cure it. Which, obviously, you would try to cure it because it's not the normal state of being. And it's a
1: mechanic that's meant as a hindrance that you're meant to overcome. Mm-hmm. Also, I think long is 1d10 10 times 10. Uh, so it can be like
0: 100 so a hu- hours. Maximum 100 hours. Yes. Okay. Yeesh. But it's usually cured by some form of wish, sp- sp- wish spell or restoration magic. I will go through the list of the different additions and how it's used. So in the
1: evolution,
0: it's an evolution. Ooh, ooh, the metamorphosis of madness. <gasps> the metamorphosis of madness. I love the alliteration there.
1: Alliteration on point. Mm.
0: Don't worry, I have a master's degree <laughs> in, in words, in knowing words, in knowing words. So in AD and D, which we'll start off with, we call it fucking with magic has consequences. <laughs> Here's looking at you magic people, and I'm shaking my head because I'm this is the first time I'm playing a magic user. I feel attacked. <laughs> okay, you I
1: usually play magic user. You should
0: feel attacked. The first time she plays a fighter, she's already tried to double class, and we're at level two. Wait, three. Okay, okay. We're at level-yeah, first off, we're at level three. Second off, I just want booming blade,
1: okay? Also character reasons, but mostly I want to use booming blade. On
0: a dual wielding build, okay. You, there are reasons. You literally told me you got bored swinging a sword. That's when you <laughs> said these words. You don't have receipts. You don't know that <laughs> my brain has receipts. Anyway, so <laughs> there is there's an interesting. Well, I say interesting. It's kind of bad, actually. There's an interesting spell that you can do in AD&D called Clone. It's a necromancy spell, and it's in the AD&D players handbook. So it is the duration is permanent. It's an 8th level spell and it creates a duplicate with your experience, memories or the it's essentially you create a clone of the thing you're you're cloning somebody that has the same experience, memories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the problem is there can only be one. You cannot coexist with the clone. So, just to make it fun, you're, you do a spell. The point is to make a double of something, but there can only be one. So, if the clones, or if the clone and the original, don't destroy each other within one week, there is a 95% chance of going insane, and a 75% chance that it's the clone who will probably try to destroy itself and there is a five percent chance that both will go mad and commit suicide not try they will just commit suicide i don't know about you but i feel like that's just a bit insensitive a bit
1: (laughs) (laughs) just a A tiny bit? bit I mean, I have a lot of thoughts, but I know you have a lot more to say and a lot more to get through, so I won't get too in-depth with it. I think the
0: only thing that I can say currently is, what the fuck? Hmm. That pretty much covers the TLDR of what we would talk about if we were to insert a rant here between us. Yeah. To talk. What the fuck? What insert the Insert rant. What the fuck? <laughs> you probably get the gist. You can, you can, can, You can get the gist of what we would say. And if you would like to send us a transcript of what you think we would say, please do, because I would be very interested (laughs) to read that.
1: Please send us a essay with an annotated bibliography.
0: There's also a symbol of insanity spell where you create a symbol that can inflict madness on somebody who interacts with the symbol. And you have to... Yeah, it's... I don't know. It's just weird. And then it is what it says on the tin. Yeah, yeah. It, it is what it says on the tin. So you could also put it onto like onto like a doorway, and if they pass through the doorway, they just get insane. Hmm. So you can just fuck with players essentially, because you fuck with magic, and then you fuck with players because that's the Gary Gygax way. Tm tm. Every, anytime you use magic, there is a risk to go insane. Uh, you it starts off small. The smaller the spell. The more difficult the spell, the greater the percentage, you know, because working with big magics of the universe is so brain consuming that you just lose your brain or control of it.
1: I have to say I like the concept of there being consequences for using really powerful spells, but I don't like that the consequence of it is insanity. Like, I really like how in 5th edition, if you use a wish spell, there's a percentage chance if you use the wish spell a certain way, you just forget the wish spell and you never know
0: how to use it again. Yeah. And you there is no way to restore it. Yeah. Well, yeah. That Then, so clerics, there are a couple clerics that have stuff to do with insanity slash madness. Priests of Chaos are immune to insanity and confusion spells. And they can never work to restore a creature's sanity by any means whatsoever because they are priests of chaos. So, you know, restrictions because AD&D love to put restrictions on things. They do gain the spell Insanity at level 7. I don't know what they gain because I don't know what the Insanity spell does because I can't find the Insanity spell. (laughs) Or maybe it's just a spell that the side effect is Insanity. Because there is an insanity table, but there is no spell insanity, but they gain the spell at level 7. So it's just all confusing, and I don't know what it is. You're just the meme with mathematic equations in front of your face. Yeah. So to counteract that, there are the priests of law, again clerics, who gain a plus 3 bonus to dispel chaos, confusion, insanity, and symbol of insanity spells, again, the spell insanity. They can dispel the spell insanity and ins- insanity spell. But there's no there's no spell insanity. Wait wait wait. They're they're priests of law. They are priests of law. So you know you have law and chaos. The do the two opposites, and they that's true. But also knowing what we know about
1: deinstitutionalization, that's kind of a weird. <laughs> that's a little, a little bit of a weird
0: crossover Ooh. interesting mm-hmm.
1: not sure if that's intentional at all but um,
0: <laughs> you know
1: one of the only ways to not be insane is to um,
0: turn yourself over to the law well n- rather the law will get will dispel the law will get rid of your insanity and madness the law will heal you which is just fundamentally untrue,
1: and I have a lot of opinions on that. But again, probably don't have time for it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we There's a lot of layers with that, especially with the American mental health system and the fact that if you call 911 for a mental health emergency, you don't get a doctor, you get a
0: cop. Oh, nice. Yeah, fun that, fact. Fun fact that, of the day. So many layers. Rant for a different time. Hmm. So that was in a... TLDR, that was a and d for you. This is how it was when it started off. So we go to 2E. Now you would think that it would be in the Dungeon Master's Guide because all the other books have it in the Dungeon Master's Guide, but no, it's in the book that's called Spells and Magic. So yes, that's where you can find it if you would like to look it up. TLDR in 2E, fucking with magic also has consequences. Nothing has changed, but they do suggest that there are different ways to look at using magic to world build or using magic in your world building so that you have an option to use sort of consequences to using magic. Because it does say that in the beginning that there's different ways that magic can be used based on and they'll give you examples in literature. So one of the examples was that, and it's called Secrets Man Was Never Meant to Know. So Wizard Magic is the province of horrible pre-human powers of the Outer Void, and dealing with them is the worst kind of betrayal. Insanity plagues those foolish enough to delve into the secrets of those Elder Powers. H.P. Lovecraft's stories are an excellent model of this kind of campaign. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that checks out. Yeah. It's more of a world building tactic, I guess. It sort of moved on from just being a game mechanic where you force it onto the player because it it was it was it was the first iteration, so you didn't really know what you were doing. AKA TSR finally understood what the world
1: what the word world building meant and used it correctly wow. instead of stealing from other things. <laughs>
0: They still have the random insanity chart, and if you remember, we went through that in part one, what the original one was in AD&D. There are six new afflictions, we'll say. There are the same 15, but there are slight differences, and there are some that were taken out. So in AD&D, there were a total of 25, in 2E, there are 21, but... Some of them were like the phobias. They added more phobias, but they sort of placed them underneath the big title of phobia. And then you can sort of roll within phobia to get one of the phobias. Oh, a subtable. I'll have you know that they took out anorexia, alcoholism, lunacy, megalomania, pathological liar, sadomasochism, schizoid, and suicidal mania. So the most problematic ones. Yep. They they
1: did. Okay. There's still some iffy ones, but mm. you know, okay. That's an
0: improvement. We'll give them that, I guess. Still not great, but an improvement. They added six new ones. So delirium, disorientation, attraction to something, alienation, psychic translocation, and pursuit. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Attraction?
1: Uh-huh. Attraction is under the insanity table
0: in 2E. From what I remember, you choose an object to obsess over or or was it that you were actually attracted to it? I can't remember anymore. The
1: Well, regardless, <laughs> the, the rhetoric of using attraction, mm-hmm. it just implies that if you're attracted to something or someone or whatever, that it's a sign of insanity. Mm-hmm. I can get something like, you know, I won't get too into depth. If you know, you know. There there are some that, okay, sure. But like just the umbrella term of attraction. Mm-hmm. Again, could go on a rant. You have so much
0: more to talk about. What the fuck? <laughs> Placeholder rant. What the fuck? Um, so we move on to, well, actually, no. There is the, I think you found this. It was the Descent into Madness spell in 2e and there was an a smaller insanity table attached there is i won't go too in depth with it we'll we'll link
1: to it but yeah there's a smaller insanity table quote unquote and some people tie this spell descent into madness and equate it to the confusion spell in fifth edition with which if you're familiar with fifth edition The confusion spell, uh, you roll and you give a random effect to a player so you can have them lose a turn, you can have them use all their movement, you can have them attack somebody randomly. It's just like a random thing to to make combat a bit more interesting, either as a player or as a DM. And people linked it, like linked the idea of that confusion spell with Descent Into Madness because it's kind of the same idea. It's meant to... Make combat more interesting and mm-hmm. and spice things up a little bit, but you know, without the connotations of madness.
0: Okay. So after 2e, we move into 3e. The insanity table has disappeared. You still have the use of madness as a mechanic within it, um, and you do actually have the spell insanity which is a 7th level sorcerer or wizard spell. It, all the description that I read about it said was it the subject suffers continuous confusion. I haven't played 3.5. I don't know much about that, but that's how it works. There is also a 3.5 prestige class. I don't know what that is. I didn't have enough time to look what up <laughs> Look up what that is. It's a prestige class, but it's called Madness Disciple. So from what I can gather, you it's a prestige class. So whether a class or like an extra class or something. I think it's like their version of
1: maybe like multi-classing, but I could be wrong okay. too. It's been
0: a very long time since I've played
1: 3.5 and I don't think we ever got high enough level to delve into prestige classes.
0: So you get essentially with Madness Disciple, you Gain levels in madness, and you go from being willfully mad to being madness born, and you get boons from being mad. So it's just a game mechanic that you want to get mad, but not like angry mad, like but quote, no, like insane, insane. mad. Insane, you want to, or you gain skills. Boons? Boons from being insane and then you just level up and get more and more insane. But I've also heard that 3.5 is a very dark version of D, so I'm it, not gonna it, question.
1: I think 3.5 has gone the darkest that DD has ever gone. And in as far as I'm aware. As far as I'm aware.
0: So that's all I've got on 3.5. So we've got D 2, E, now 3.5. We've lost the insanity table. 4, E, again, no table. Or if there is one, I don't know where it is. If you do know where it is, please let me know, and I will retract my statements. Mm -hmm. So, again, the quote-unquote madness was integrated into spells and potions. So side effects of spells and potions, no table. We, For an example, there is a spell, Crown of Madness, which appears for the first time in 4E. Uh, the description is, you cause an illusionary, twisted crown to appear on the target's head. Under its psychic assault, your enemy loses the ability to distinguish friend from foe. The target makes a melee basic attack against one of its adjacent allies of your choice. It's the same in 5E. It's the same spell. Yeah. Yeah. So, instead of... Rolling for a random insanity, you—it's integrated into the spell. Underneath it, it's just an effect of the spell that causes the enemy to do something. And also in four E, you do have the Fey Touched Warlock class. So one of the things about Madness um, throughout all, actually all of the editions is if you do any transplanar communication, because it's again big magics. You have the chance to get madness or insanity from that. Like, if you are constantly communicating transplanary, then it's, it fucks with your brain. That explains a lot about my fey patron warlock. (laughs) (laughs) You look at it from that angle. Yep. (laughs) Her patron's in the fey wild. She's a little bit nutty. (laughs) Yep. Also the Fae, there's something about the Fae that they're just a little bit kooky to begin with. I I don't know what that's about. So the thing with a warlock class, the explanation is that because you're constantly visiting the Fae Wild, it just makes you a bit mad because you're constantly visiting and talking to somebody in the Fae Wild. You just become mad. So there's like sort of a progression of... Or it's integrated into the fey-touched warlock class being a bit mad because you're constantly talking with a patron who is not there where you are. Also, like you said, the Feywild's a bit kooky.
1: Also, the Feywild's a bit (laughs) kooky to begin with. Which I I personally love the Feywild, so. Yeah. (laughs) For that specific reason, because, like, anything can
0: happen. So yeah, so we've gone from A, D, and D where we have serious issues that we discussed in Part 1 about madness and insanity in a table, 2E, slightly better, still a table of insanity, to 3.5, a little bit dark, but no table, to 4E, which is kind of refreshing. Kooky. 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 It's just (laughs) refreshing, but kooky. And then we come to 5E which brings back madness as a game mechanic so if you want to look this up it, it is in the dungeon master's guide because most of these are except for 2e it at you 2e on page 258 specifically because madness is a way to enhance the horror theme Emphasizing the threats that the characters are faced. And this is me reading off of I think one of the pages in the book. Yeah. 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 So it's caused by spells, symbols, diseases, poisons, planar effects like psychic wind, pandemonium winds, and the shadow fell. And again, you roll a wisdom or charisma saving throw. Now, something that I did not know about 5E is you can actually, there's an optional game mechanic that you can use which is called a sanity score so if you want to look that up it's an in the dungeon master's guide it's on page 265 so the sanity score is used in a campaign that has quote alien unspeakable stuff that can break your character so you can roll a sanity check to for example recall law no Recall lore about madness, aliens, because if your campaign has madness aliens. Decipher writings of the crazed, or read forbidden tomes or languages. And this can result in short, long, or indefinite madness. But otherwise, they do have a table, but it's an effects table, so it's slightly different from... It's a combination of, if you take AD&D and 2E... And then you take 3.5, well, 3.5 is sort of 3.5, and 4e, and then you mush them together. So you have a table, but it's about effects, and then you can roll for the effects that it causes. So you don't have an affliction necessarily, you have an effect. So you do a certain thing based on you having touched something or drank something or interacted with something. So you can get, for example, a tick, or you can get essentially what would be in originally be called kleptomania, but instead what you're not, you're not told you get kleptomania. You're told you roll for it and then you can read and it says, I keep whatever I find. And you can also, it, there's a couple that are like, I find it hard to care about anything that goes on around me. Or the character feels compelled to repeat a specific activity over and over, such as washing hands, touching things, praying, or counting coins. So it's not an affliction, necessarily. It's just an effect that you get. But you could tie it to certain afflictions
1: if you wanted to, because obviously the last one kind of has Mm -hmm. obsessive-compulsive vibes, but they don't outwardly say obsessive-compulsive. They just say, this is what happens.
0: Yeah, so there isn't the rhetoric and the stereotype that goes with saying the name of of an affliction like obsessive-compulsive. You're not Mm -hmm. making fun necessarily of that affliction because it's not outright said, but you get the effect that they may have and you experience it for a short-term, long-term time. We didn't really do a comparison of the specific kind of ones that they have in each of the versions. Um, I will try to make a chart or something that we'll publish at some point in our sources. Um, I'll try to get it done for when this episode comes out, but it might be a few days later because it's a lot of data. But we'll publish your information. So a chart with all the different versions and the afflictions that are there and the descriptions there. So you can read that all there. So, yeah, I would say that 5e, while they still keep a game mechanic and has the spice of having real world effects of disorders, it's more inclusive. Or what do you what would you say, Charday? I say I think you hit the nail on the head. Like they took the rhetoric
1: right out of it. They took the heaviness and they took the implications out. But I think it's kind of an homage to the insanity table, but it's not glorifying it. It's taking what the insanity table is meant to do, which is give a optional new dimension to what to what could spice up combat or spice up the game. And they made it more accessible to people. Mm. They it's just descriptions if players or DMs want to use terminology to kind of liken it to something, they can do. But in the book itself, it it doesn't overtly or even just it doesn't specifically say like you have this affliction. It is just an optional rule that gives you a certain type of behavior that is the result of what in earlier editions would make you go insane or mad. But now it's just, oh, you just have this effect from fucking with this stuff and i think again i when we lo- started looking into this i liked the concept of spicing up gameplay like i liked what the insanity table was probably meant to do which is add a little bit of darkness add a little bit of spice make some mold wine out of it you know <laughs> but it, because of the way it was handled it just it didn't meet those expectations and I think 5e went about it a much better way. Maybe their language could be a bit more overt. Like maybe they don't need to take specific, specific ticks or specific behaviors from afflictions because it, it's pretty easy to see where they took inspiration from, like kleptomania or obsessive compulsive stuff. So maybe they theoretically could be more creative with it and come up with their own behaviors that aren't so aligned with mm. an affliction with real world ones yeah yeah but also you have to think of it as not everybody who plays dungeons and dragons is a natural role player so having if you incorporate this as a dm and a and talk about it with your players some of them might need help performing these things at the table so they might need that real world example yeah but again that that's kind of a table by table basis but it's again i like what it stands for i think 5e has done the best job of it i'm all about spicing things up and you you can very clearly see the influences there but maybe i hope one day that they just come up with their own ideals of afflictions that Mm. they could just base things off of i understand that's probably very difficult to do because even the biggest world build fantasy stuff is always grounded in reality, and some players need that grounding. But yeah, it's it's a murky issue, but I think if you go about it in a sensitive way, you can have fun with it. And that's the point of having of playing D&D, is just to have fun yeah. with it and make sure everybody's comfortable.
0: But also, who washes their hands in D&D? Who specifically washes their hands in d d and how... Oh, okay, I guess it could be funny if you were on this big adventure and there was, like, no water whatsoever and you need to wash your hands. I guess it could be funny. But, like, otherwise... <laughs> every time you see a stream, every time there's a pond, you
1: start just digging into the ground until you find water and then use that water to wash your hands. Okay. Don't give that to Riva. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she gets over her water stuff.
0: So... I, I meant to mention it earlier, but if you've been listening to like who the f- fuck is Reva, that's my character in Shardae's campaign, my half orc barbarian who has anxiety. She's a force to be reckoned with, but she has anxiety, and it's a great contrast or conund- it, it really is to play with.
1: It's not a co- it is not a conundrum. It is a delight.
0: <laughs> um. <laughs> Four or 5e, e, to kind of round this up, you can cure, obviously, insanity, madness that you get. You can use the Calm Emotion spell to suppress some of the effects that, you do, that happen. Uh, you can use Lesser Restoration spell to cure short or long-term effects. And depending on the source, you can remove, curse, or dispel evil. Those spells would work. And Greater Restoration spell or Wish spell for Indefinite Madness would work. As for the stats, so I talked about what each version did and looking at the stats, which are not really exhaustive. So I took a look at and counted how many words, certain words I could find in each edition. So I looked for words such as madness, mad in the context of being mad or being a madman. Insanity, insane, suicide, suicidal, erratic, and maniac, which I think were kind of problematic words. In the ad DM's guide, you do have 11 cases of madness, mad, and the big one, 47 cases of insanity or insane being used as a description or as a word. Player's Handbook, not so much. There were nine cases of Insanity or Insane, but because the Insanity table is in the DM guide, they went all all in, talking about that in the DM guide, with 47. So that's a notable figure. 2E, not really much until you get to the Spells and Magic Handbook. So you have 39 cases of Insanity Insane, In the spells and magic, 11 cases of madness and mad. There's two for suicide, suicidal, two for maniac. Uh, The others, they were just four for madness in both Dungeon Master's Guide and Player's Handbook. Player's Handbook had six insanity, insane, and six suicide, suicidal. 4E, couple cases, 12 cases of madness, mad in the Player's Handbook, seven in the DM Guide single words in the player's handbook in the dungeon master's guide there's one case of insanity and none of the rest of them so all in all 4e is pretty pretty good no, 4e no. looks
1: like yeah looks like yeah. The, probably the best in terms of language again I stand the language of 4e I said it before and I'll say it again using second person brilliant for pronouns brilliant mm-hmm. Why don't we still do that? And now they're they're real. They were very careful with their wording. I I appreciate that. We should stand for E. I understand. I haven't played it, but we won't talk to. I understand the combat system is not great. I understand this, but you gotta you gotta give them credit for how like careful they were about how they worded things. Yeah, just saying. hashtag Bring back for E. hashtag I don't know. What's a good hashtag? Hashtag (laughs) the stats have
0: spoken. Yeah.
1: Ooh. 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 Ooh, Hashtag the stats strike
0: back. Ooh. Ooh. So we come to 5E. Player's Handbook, here and there, you have nine madness, seven insanity, one mention of suicide, two of erratic. That's not much of anything. Uh, And then you come to the Dungeon Master's Guide, where you they bring back the madness as a game mechanic. So forty nine cases of madness or mad, which is significant and you can compare it to the forty seven. Well, yeah. So from A D and D, they use the term insanity, but we come to five E, they've switched it to mad, and that's like a significant mm-hmm. development. So only seven... Well, mad- yeah. Mm.
1: Madness you could madness you could say is A better quote term to use yeah like i i don't get viscerally angry when insane like it it carries a weight but madness or mad if if you're looking in terms of like improvement it is an improvement if you want to include that kind of
0: stuff there are seven cases of insane or insanity mentioned in the dungeon master's guide and i think one mention of suicide and one of erratic but all in all it's pretty good comparatively so i think do we want to have a discussion about how madness has been depicted or how it has developed throughout DD. is it good or bad what can we expect in the future
1: i think we can touch on it we're just about out of time for this section but i mean if i could sum it up in like a sentence I would say, especially with your stats, you can very much see that Dungeons & Dragons throughout the years has improved on its depiction of madness and insanity and is continuing to make strides to do better in terms of both rhetoric and game mechanics that Mm. could be construed in a bad way.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think that you can definitely see... If if the stats don't make sense with me reading them out, um, obviously we will publish them in our sources. You will be able to look at them, and then things will make sense. Because as <laughs> as a person who is not an audio learner, I need a visual cue. <laughs> <laughs> so really, it's mostly for you, but
1: also for people who are Lissa adjacent. Yes, we also need visual me cues. Me and Lissa adjacent. We we like to see things. Honestly, same. Honestly, same.
0: Get a nice pie chart going. Oof. 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 So (laughs) you can definitely see from, or hear, from the numbers, the stats, which are not exhaustive, but they do point to certain trends that I did highlight when I was talking about each of the editions, and you can see how they change. I would say they are doing pretty well. I don't know what to expect from the future. Hopefully... More inclusivity, I don't know how you would do that, specifically regarding with the madness and insanity aspect. Maybe using what Charday said previously, make using uh, D&D-based examples, their own examples, maybe that would be better. But other than that, yeah. Unless Charde has anything else to add, we will be closing out the section to go into... The conclusion.
1: I have so much to say, but I think we can save it for our closing thoughts. I think this section is wrapped,
0: tied with a cute little bow, ready to post, ready to send as a Christmas gift to someone.
1: No, I gotta, I gotta edit it first. But yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> not quite. Still gotta bake it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Still gotta. It still needs some time in the oven ingredients are there but still need some time in the oven. Yep. Okay. So Perfect. Yep. Here we go to closing thoughts.
1: Closing thoughts. We just threw a lot of information out there. I think most of our opinions have already been vehemently stated, but I here's a TLDR for you guys who may not remember what we said, need clarification and also some last minute who those who are not audio
0: people. Who need <laughs>
1: reminders? <laughs> totally valid and fair if you do, um, and also just leaving you with some food for thought and how we can, you know, take this information and use it going forward. So my closing thoughts are that the modern depictions of madness are an interesting mechanic that developed from a very problematic period <laughs> in D and history that was influenced very likely by current events in pop culture. And while it may have had good intentions, the rhetoric (laughs) and the way it was handled was not good Uh, and thankfully has been approved upon now in 5th edition and maybe in 5.5, which apparently is coming out in the next couple of years. So I wonder if they're going to make any changes. That'll be interesting to see. Mm -hmm. And my food for thought going forward is... You know, talking through all this, doing the research for this episode, it's my opinion that if the DM and the players are comfortable with it, the aspects of mental health, exploring mental health, I think it's totally fine to do as long as everybody's comfortable with it, um, in role play or otherwise. Because you know, if, if you're in tune to D and in the academic world, it's actually being used as therapy now. Um, but most tables. Are not therapy sessions, and I, I saw this quote that I would like to leave off on is: if you do explore these topics, make sure you do it with the utmost care. Make sure to do it with everybody's comfortable, and remember this phrase: most tables should be therapeutic, like D anD D should feel therapeutic, but it is not therapy unless you are practicing with an actual professional. But most tables, therapeutic not therapy, if you do explore these things. And that's kind of where I'd like to leave off my thoughts.
0: So if your DM is not equipped to handle these things, please don't subject them to becoming a therapist and because that's just unfair. It is not their job. It is their hobby. They should be also having fun and not just winging a therapy session for you because that would be bad for both of you. And just
1: for everybody involved, the whole table, really, unless everybody's comfortable with it, which I think in most instances is probably a no, but I could be wrong. Could be very wrong.
0: I think there's something to be said. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think there's something to be said if you want to explore something for yourself in D&D, make sure that everybody's fine with it, whether that's something to do with mental health or gender or otherwise. You can d is a way to explore something away from the outside world that you're struggling with, maybe. But do realize that you're playing it with other people, so you have to take their them into consideration and the DM as well. And use empathy in that way. And I think that's my five cents on the issue. I think that's a night nice, that's actually kind of
1: like a nice way to end off after all of this this shit show <laughs> the past two hours of an emotional roller coaster and dealing with all these heavy, heavy topics. So let us know what you guys think. Um, we are always available to chit chat on social media. We are at Slovenly Trolls on Twitter and Instagram. Please hit us up, follow us, chit chat with us, DM us, email us. We have an email. Slovenly trolls at gmail.com if you really want to write an essay. I love essays, so feel free to reach out. If you are able, or if you would like to, you are more than welcome to join our Patreon. We plugged it before. It is patreon.com slash can't be killed creations. We do an extra episode each month with our sister podcast right in the feels. It's called what is it, Slovenly Feels, I think is what we called it, where it's just I think so. We chat with we chat with our our fellow, our friends, our fellows, our friends about just anything we feel like really. It's it's way more laid back. It's just a conversation if you're into that. And hopefully we're looking to expand to maybe do our own solo Patreon exclusive podcast where it's just the two of us maybe answering like doing some Q&As or something. We're, we're still ironing it out. Uh, it's the holiday season. Things are pretty hectic, so we're, we're trying. We're trying. So if you'd like to join us over there, please do. We'd love to have you. If you're not able to, that's cool, too. Just give us a follow somewhere and leave us a review on Apple Podcast if, if you would like to, a star review or a written review, either or both would be fantastic it it helps the podcast reach more people so that we can get recommended we can get some more slovenly fans and have bigger conversations and meet new people and make the world a better place than we found it which is kind of you know the backbone of this podcast i think encourage ourselves and others Mm. in our this little community this little edge of the internet to do better yep couldn't have said better myself MFA in words. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, that's that's all we got for you this month. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. And I don't have, forget I the number one. Oh, wow. And wah, ooh.
0: if you celebrate Christmas, have a happy Christmas and we will see you in the new year.
1: Happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Holidays. We'll see you in the new year. Uh, don't forget the number one rule of D&D. Don't, don't be a, a dick. dick. Bye. Bye. trolls, trolls we big, bad, evil girls. The Slovenly Trolls podcast is part of the Can't Be Killed Creations podcast network. Make sure to check us out at com.